Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. This week, we're doing a special episode where we each have consumed some pop culture things that the other person covered in an earlier episode, which I'm very intrigued by. We'll see how that goes. And then we both watched the freeform show Cruel Summer. Yes. In addition to Cruel Summer, we're talking about the Carol Haunt, which you read for episode 48, mm-hmm. but I just finished. And then you watched Selling Sunset, which is so off-brand for you. And so I'm I really know. excited about this. And I watched that for episode 44. So these were things that are like last year. Yeah. And yeah. It's kind of crazy how long ago they were. I swore up until today I was like, oh, we talked about Selling Sunset like two or three months ago, but no, it was almost (laughs) a year ago. Yeah, I can't. Time has no meaning anymore. I know. (laughs) But I'm really excited about you watching Selling Sunset. And you have been texting me a little bit like, oh my gosh, this person is so terrible, blah, blah, blah. How did you, okay, what made you just watch this on your own without, because I didn't tell you to. I know. I did not tell you to watch it. It was very interesting. (laughs) Okay, so I've been rereading my first two books in my fantasy series in preparation for revising the third manuscript. Mm -hmm. And I have a bunch of notes. So I was writing them by hand. And when I was typing them up on the computer, I wanted something on in the background that I didn't like super have to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And that I wasn't... (laughs) And that I wasn't going to be interest, very interested in. <laughs> so, it, so it wouldn't draw my attention away. Uh-huh. And I picked this. And, <laughs> and then I watched like the whole first season in like three days. <laughs> and then I forced myself to slow down a little bit because it was a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I went into it thinking I wouldn't really like it and i i can't really say i like it at this point in time. <laughs> but i i don't want to disparage it at all where i'm coming from is that i don't watch a lot of reality television mm-hmm. because it's very overwhelming just like there are always so many people talking and they're arguing at the same time and i get really like on edge sometimes yeah so yeah. the reality TV that I like tends towards stuff like The Curse of Oak Island, where it's just a bunch of old men sitting around talking about treasure, and they're very laid back. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't overwhelm me at all. Mm-hmm. So this just really, I wasn't sure what I was expecting, but sometimes it can get very in your face with the visuals and the auditory stuff. I'm like, okay, I need to take a step back. <laughs> So uh, that's basically where I'm coming from with it. I I don't think it's a bad show at all. But what I find is interesting is you really loved all the houses and stuff. And mm-hmm. there it's really split into two parts. There's the real estate side of it, and then there's the interpersonal drama. Mm-hmm. And the interpersonal drama can get very overwhelming. Yeah, The house stuff is more interesting to me, but it's funny because you loved all the houses and I it's not my style at all Mm -hmm. all these mansions out in LA everything's like super modern things I like best is a lot of them you tend to have a pool which is fun yeah but (laughs) I'm watching these people go through these houses and it's like yeah this is 3.35 million and this one's like 7 million and I'm just like I would never live in that house like no matter (laughs) 
what the price was. Just because yeah. it's not my style at all. So I think yeah. I think it's really interesting that, you know, it's so off base for me. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like, I don't know that much about L.A. So I'm sort of getting a little peek into what living there is like, which is cool. Yeah. And the other thing about reality shows is like with fiction shows, I like to analyze characters and plot lines and stuff. But none of that is really there in a reality show. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, because these are real people, Mm -hmm. and they might be possibly exaggerating themselves for the camera, or Mm -hmm. maybe editing is not super kind to them, but they are still real people. So I don't want to come right out and be like, wow, these people are awful, but they're not very (laughs) nice to each other. They're not very nice to each other on camera. Yes. I don't know if it's different off camera, but... I don't know. Yeah. Why don't why don't we mention who we like because then that's yes. always positive. So Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't tell you anything about this show because <laughs> I just assumed <laughs> that people listened to the to the first episode where we talked about it. But yeah. it's called Selling Sunset. It follows the Oppenheim group, who are real estate brokers. Um it's run by Brett and Jason Oppenheim, who are twins. Mm-hmm. And very interesting people. <laughs> and then the realtors at least in the first three seasons, are Chriselle Staus, Christine Quinn, Maya Vander, Mary Fitzgerald, Heather Ray Young, Davina Potratz, and Amanda Smith. And obviously my favorite is Maya because <laughs> she just doesn't give a crap about anything that's going on interpersonally. Like she sometimes gets involved or like but when she gets involved, it's usually like, I don't understand what happened. Like, can you tell me what happened? Or or she'll <laughs> say things like, maybe you're just, you know, you're seeing it from your perspective and, and she has her own perspective. Maybe you just both need to calm down. So she's very much like a calming presence. Yes. So I really like her. Mm-hmm. And I also like really like Chriselle a lot. Yes. She comes into the office in season one as the new person. And she sort of has to prove herself. But I think she's just very nice, which is good. Mm-hmm. And she likes selling real estate, which is like, that's cool. You love your job. Yeah. She doesn't go out of her way to cause drama. It just sometimes happens. And <laughs> she doesn't sometimes know how to deal with it. But what I yeah. like about her, is she's always very, very level headed. Like when mm-hmm. someone's yelling at her. She has a backbone and she'll stand up for herself, but she understands that you just can't talk to some people. So sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, there's no winning the argument. You just have to be like, okay, that's what you think. And here's what I think. And that's it. But she seems very adult and mature, I guess, mm-hmm. in how she deals with some of the frustrations of all the interpersonal stuff. So mm-hmm. who do you like if you want to remind us again? I like those two a lot also. And I I do like Mary. I think she I liked Mary in the beginning, because she was like among the oldest in the group. Mm -hmm. And yet she doesn't totally act like that. She is a little bit more mature in some ways. But she has a lighthearted nature and can say kind of ditzy things sometimes, (laughs) which are sometimes kind of funny. Yeah. And I think she's, she's had probably the most sort of tumultuous relationship with some of the other people. But Mm -hmm. I think she ultimately tries to She's become a little bit more good friends with Chriselle over time, which I think has helped her. Yeah. 
And I think she's the best realtor of them all. Yes. Like, she does the best job with actually selling houses and knowing her stuff about the yeah. houses. So I just I just think that, that, since I like that element of the show a lot, her competency is just very appealing. <laughs> you do love competency. I do. Yeah. <laughs> and there is some tension among her and everyone else because everyone else sometimes will voice the opinion that they think Jason gives her more listings and stuff like that. So I don't know yeah. where I was going with that. But there's a reason she's competent. There is a reason she's competent, but they, I think they think it's because they, she and Jason used to date. Yeah. But I think it's because she's just a really good realtor. So yeah. Anyway. Definitely. Both things can be true. <laughs> both th exactly. Both things can be true. Yeah. I like I, Mary grew on me a lot. Mm -hmm. I also like Amanza most of the yes. time. Yeah. And we won't talk about anyone else. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> Um. I think that they all have good qualities. They yes. all actually have good qualities. They have qualities that make them good television. Mm -hmm. But some of that is a little bit stressful at times. Yeah. One of the things I don't appreciate is that Brett and Jason are very much, well, the whole thing, they don't have any work-life balance. <laughs> like, no. no. <laughs> they go out all the time with their coworkers and they're always like, we're a family. I'm like, no, that's not healthy. Like, you need a separation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, Brett and Jason are very much like, they've made comments about how they don't like their realtors dating because they get too wrapped up in relationships and not enough about work. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, do you understand what a work-life balance is? Do you? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. I will say, too, that if you like the idea of LA real estate, with a little bit less of the interpersonal drama and with more diversity of home styles, you should watch a million dollar listing LA instead or in addition. Okay. Because they do show on that show, first of all, it's not about the interpersonal drama. It's much more about the real estate. And at least one of the realtors on there, Jason Flagg, specializes in slightly older properties. So you see these neat old Spanish mission style homes, um, hmm. Victorian homes art deco things that have been converted things he's very into old hollywood gotcha so you might dig that show a little bit better so okay. maybe look for that i might check it out i actually don't really love real estate shows <laughs> <laughs> which is part of the reason i was like oh this won't attract my interest at all i'll just have it yeah. in the background but that sounds <laughs> yeah it, it sounds like i could get a, a more full picture of what la real estate is like which would be yeah. good I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a trip. I told myself I would only watch the first season, but of course I watched all three. <laughs> and it's been renewed for seasons four and five. I don't know exactly when they're dropping, but I'm, I don't know. I'll probably end up watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad you are. It's just a little bit too stressful for me, but yeah, yeah I'll probably watch it. We can, we can talk about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyway, so you went back and you, what made you pick up The Carol Haunt, which is a book that I read, again, almost a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. So when you talked about it, it sounded really appealing to me. And I bought the Kindle edition right then, but I had oh. not read it. And I can't remember. I think I was like in between books and was just like, oh, there was that ghost story book that we talked <laughs> about on the pod. And so I picked it up and, and read it pretty quickly. but. Some things about it were a lot more scary for me 
than maybe for you when you read it because I read mostly late at night (laughs) to go to sleep and it's interesting enough that it kept me up a little bit for one thing. Mm-hmm. And I, as you know, but I, our listeners may not know, I live in a Victorian home <laughs> built in 1890. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not in Australia, which is where this novel is set, it's a little scary to be reading about a ghost story that takes place in an old Victorian manor house when you're in a Victorian house late yeah. at night and you hear every little noise and everything's very dark. <laughs> and I just made every mistake in the book of like, don't read scary things late at night. Don't read them in the same kind of environment that they're set in. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I did everything yeah. I shouldn't have. And it was really scary. And a lot of the, um, like the backstory of how the haunting kind of comes about was really creepy to me. And just, it was very scary. I will say I did not super duper love the ending, but yeah. I'm sure other readers would be fine with the ending. That's fair. Yeah. And there was, she had some, this is by um, Darcy Coates, and I really like the way she structured the plot. I really liked the characters. There was some quirks about it that I didn't, I didn't realize it was set in Australia for a long time. And then once I learned that, I was more okay with some of the writing quirks because it doesn't make a big deal about where it's set. Right. And that's both good and also means that if you don't realize that, sometimes some things seem a little awkward to American ears. And I can't even think of a specific example right now yeah when you said it was set in australia like i didn't even remember that (laughs) (laughs) yeah she really she's very generic about the setting but like certain things could really only happen there like it's in a very isolated area it's on a cliffside with really violent ocean Mm -hmm. nearby i think it's just some little turns of phrase that she uses Yep. But I have already gotten one of her other books, and I'm going to give it a shot. Cool. She's extremely prolific, which is great. Yes. It was a very quick read. And if you like, I mean, it was very much like The Haunting of Hill House, the original novel, not so much the TV adaptation, in terms of bringing this group of kind of paranormal investigators together to study this house. None of them actually live there. It's been uninhabited. It was a hotel at one point. It was a sanitarium at one point. It was the scene of a lot of grisly murders. And the woman, the main character is a tour guide who runs little like haunted house tours through it. So she knows about the house quite a bit. But yeah, it was really good. Cool. It was creepy. Jump scares, lots of jump scares, lots of ghosts coming out of the woodwork. And I think that's really easy to convey in a film, but harder to convey in a book. But Coates really does a good job conveying it in book form. So I did really enjoy it. Awesome. Yeah, but you sort of reacted when I said I didn't super love the ending. Did you feel similarly? You know what? I don't quite remember exactly what happened at the end. Okay. But yeah, I think there were a few things where I was like, okay, I guess so. (laughs) Like, I just remembered not loving it. And I remember something that happens. There's also like a flash forward. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, okay. But yeah, I could see how people would not be terribly taken by the ending i guess yeah but i don't think it's terrible and in some ways it was it provided me a sense of closure and Mm -hmm. it doesn't really leave itself open for a sequel or anything so if you want a book that has a nice wrapped it all together ending this would be a good choice i sometimes like a little bit more ambiguity but i think that was my issue yes you are like that yeah yeah which is cool yeah i'm glad 
you mostly enjoyed it. Her writing style to me is, like you said, it's very, it's a very quick read. Mm-hmm. And she's very prolific. So I also have a, a couple of her other titles on my Kindle ready to go for when I mm-hmm. need a little scare. Yeah. I think cool. I will wait and read the next book of hers that I got. I'm going to wait for a vacation where I am in the sun. In the sun. I'm going to read it during the day. I'm going to like, you know, not read it in my creepy house late at night, <laughs> which my house is not creepy, but there was a certain like, oh man, this hallway sounds real familiar. And <laughs> I just like, I don't have a mansion or anything, but it just was like upsetting me in terms of the era of these ghosts and yeah, stuff. So I get it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, if you want some good classic, and it is like there's things that seem violent and gruesome and upsetting, but it's also not that much. So if you want a scare that's kind of mostly based around things that can't totally hurt you, this would be another reason to pick this up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, to move on to something that is also a little bit disturbing and unsettling in a different way, but in the visual medium... Yes. You recently finished Freeform's TV show, Cruel Summer, yes. and I finished it recently, too. Mm-hmm. Let's just jump right into that. Okay. So yeah. it, it's set in 1993 to 1995 in a fictional town in Texas, and it follows two girls, Kate Wallace, who's very popular, and she disappears without a trace in 1993, and then Jeanette Turner is sort of an outcast. She has a couple good friends, but is not very popular. And through the lens of Kate's disappearance, you see her changing and she changes her appearance. She becomes more popular. She starts dating Kate's ex-boyfriend. And then Kate is found in 1994 Mm -hmm. in the basement of their, their high school principal's house. Vice principal. Sorry, yes. The vice principal's house. Thank you. (laughs) And the main conflict in the story is Kate accuses Jeanette of seeing her in the house and not saying anything. And then Jeanette, in 1995, countersues for defamation of character. Or I don't, I guess it's not countersue because, (laughs) you know, she sues for defamation of character. And the story is very interesting in that it will show you all three years in each episode. So it jumps time periods a lot. Mm -hmm. And it can be confusing, but a couple, they do a couple of visual things to help you out knowing what year is which year. Jeanette's hairstyle changes. So in 1993, it's curly. In 1994, it's straight. In 1995, she cuts it very short. And then they also have sort of filters for the different time periods. So the 1993 one is very bright and the 1995 one ends up being very dark and depleted and like sort of all the color is sapped from it. So it's almost, it's not black and white, but it's not very bright at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's overall, it's, a, it's kind of a really interesting premise. Mm-hmm. Do you do you want to add anything to, to that? Yeah. Yeah, with the way you talked about the filters, the 93 is sort of with like almost a a brightened sepia tone with high saturation. And then the 94 is kind of like normal. And 95, they've desaturated it and added like a blue tinge to it, mm-hmm. which I really, I liked all that. 
Yeah, and the actors are great. Olivia Holt plays Kate Wallace. Um, she's best known for the Marvel TV show. It was also on Freeform. Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger, yeah. That was a good show. Yeah, and Chiara Aurelia is Jeanette, and I think this is one of her... This is one of her first roles, and she's fantastic. She's very young, and so I just think she's somebody to watch in the future. Harley Quinn Smith is Mallory, who starts out as Jeanette's best friend and then becomes Kate's best friend. It's very interesting. Yeah, and she's the daughter of Kevin Smith, and I think this is one of... She's been in a couple things before, but this is certainly her breakout role. Lots of other good actors in it, but I think those three are particularly compelling um, and do such a great job with their roles. And for me, it was very nostalgic because I am close to the age of these people would have been. <laughs> so like high school in the early 90s is very relatable. They choose good music. And we had okay. a sort of misunderstanding about the title. <laughs> like I initially was like, oh, the title is clearly about the Bananarama song, Cruel Summer, which is from 1983. <laughs> And would have been in the childhood of these people in their proper age group. But you were like, you were like, no. I, <laughs> okay, first of all, you didn't specify the Banana Rama song. You just said the song Cruel Summer. And obviously, <laughs> I live in 2021. And my brain jumped straight to Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer. And I was like, that song wasn't released yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was complaining that they haven't actually played the song in the show. And they did not play either... Because the Taylor Swift song is not a cover of the Banana Rama song. It is a totally separate, different song. Yeah. Did they not play it at the end of the last episode? I, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Although I was watching this on Hulu, so it's possible that the credits were not always viewable. Sometimes it like rolls over to the next thing, you know, cuts the credits off. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was also feeling very old because Michael Landis plays Jeanette's dad. And I think of him as being this young, like he played Jimmy Olsen on Lois and Clark. And I think of him as very young, but he's older than I am. So that was <laughs> a little But He did great. That's a very, that was a very troubled character that didn't get a lot of screen time, but he did a good job with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very much an unfolding mystery. Mm -hmm. It's always the same date at a different point in time in three different years. So they'll say like July 4th of... 1993, 1994, and 1995. And through these clues, you end up by the end of the series getting a complete picture of what really happened. And several episodes end up totally breaking open expectations and subverting what you would have thought was going on with the mystery. Yeah. It's also upsetting because I think they, let's see, who plays Martin Harris? Oh, Blake Lee plays Martin Harris, who is the vice principal. And the thing I've mostly seen him in before was he had a very minor role on Parks and Recreation, okay, playing April's boyfriend at one point, and he was a totally different sort of person. So <laughs> in some ways, you end up following him a lot more than is comfortable. And that's, I don't know, there's some choices they make that are a little bit upsetting and force you to really think about motivation and who's really evil and who's really good and, and who's lying about things. Yes. That's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really cool was it brings up the question, are they lying or is their perspective just different from yours? Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of at the heart of the conflict between Kate and Jeanette. And I don't know if you want to get into this yet, but I really thought they did a great job with that in the last episode. Mm -hmm. 
they do finally get to talk and confront each other about what happened. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that they're both right in their own way. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a really fantastic way to wrap everything up until the very last, like, 30 seconds, the very last scene. Yeah. In which they sort of blew up that idea of of personal honesty from Jeanette's perspective, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a little disappointing. And I don't know, we don't have to like go into specifics, but Mm -hmm. I thought this was a really great show for the first like nine episodes in like 55 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Just sort of be willing to be surprised at every moment. Yeah. Episode, I think it was episode nine or episode eight, eight or nine, really broke things open for me in terms of what I thought was true. Yeah. And I was just like, jaw on the floor. And I know I was texting you about that. Yes. And yeah, the very ending was not necessarily how I would have chosen to write it. But it did get renewed for a second season. And I don't know if it's going to be an anthology series, or if they are going to continue with this storyline and just kind of further dismantle things and truth and lies, etc. Mm-hmm. Or to go to a different time period and follow different people. But I think it there were things about the very end that were telegraphed early on. Yeah. And it's just I think too that these two young actresses did such a good job with their characters that you want the truth to be that they are both actually good people. Yes. And yeah. that's what I wanted and that's but what you want and what is actually true are not always necessarily the same. And I think, you know, some showrunners of of other shows that are kind of similar have said things along the lines of, you know, we're going to give you what you need, not what you want. And so, you know, (laughs) maybe it's that we need to realize that not everyone is a good person. And that's really upsetting. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, that's a good point. I've been thinking about this a lot uh, in conjunction with some other shows and some other twists. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always a very delicate balance between, you know, are we giving you what you need? Are we staying true to the characters? Are we twisting the story just for the sake of surprising you? Yeah. And you can make that decision for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But it's very good. It's a quick watch. I, I watched, there was nights where I watched multiple episodes at the same time. I think it is leaving Hulu at some point, so try to find it as soon as you can. I also like the fact that because it's set many years ago, but it is about late teens, I think it can appeal to a wide variety of viewers. Mm -hmm. Those like me that are older and think, oh, well, this is like when I was this age. But people who are currently much younger would also find it very appealing. Freeform does some great stuff, man. I I really have been impressed with a lot of the things I've watched on there, and it's kind of funny, but I think we think of it as the YA network, and it sort of is. Yeah, I think it's going through a transformation right now. Yeah, yeah. Because I think they got a new, like, I don't know what you call the head of the network. I guess the head, head of, of the network. Head of the network. <laughs> <laughs> I think they got a new one, and she's sort of been steering them in a slightly different direction, which is very exciting. Cool, yeah. I do, I do want to point out there are if you haven't guessed from our talk of the premise of the show, there are some uncomfortable topics involved. Mm-hmm. So just watch out for that. 
And I also want to give a shout out to Alias Barnes, who plays Vince Fuller, one of Jeanette's friends. Mm -hmm. I thought he was very good. And I just want all of the good things for him. (laughs) Yes, he was very good. Yeah. And also Ben Kane as Rod Wallace, who is Kate's stepfather. Yes. I thought he was great as well. And if they go in the direction of extending this storyline instead of an anthology story, mm-hmm. I would love to see both of those characters given a little bit more to do. They're developed, but um, I just want to see them more and see their yep. relationships with Kate and, and Jeanette. So, mm-hmm. Great. Cool. So next week... We both, not super long ago, watched the 2017 version of Murder on the Orient Express. So we're going to talk about that. Carrie is going to talk about a book called Architects of Memory, and I'm going to talk about the HBO Max series Made for Love. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. You can also find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. And please rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, if you enjoy us, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pop.